Father, we just thank you this morning for an opportunity to be in this building, to be in this space, God, to worship you. Uh, God, I just pray, God, that as we are, man, just entering into your word, hearing from your word, Father, that you would uh, be present, God, that we would rather posture ourselves uh, to hear from you. And so, Father, as I uh, share your word this morning, would you increase in me as I decrease, Father, will let only that which is of you come out, Father. Let your words ah, be strong. God, let your spirit's present be bold. Um, and let our hearts uh, be receptive. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What's going on, everybody? Good to see y'all. Let me get y'all some time, man. We got baptism today, so I don't want to go too long for y'all. Hey, I mean, come on, shout out for baptisms. Listen, if it's one thing, I start my time after I say this. If it's one thing that we celebrate, it is definitely baptisms. Because, right, baptism is an individual making a public declaration to say, hey, I am with God. Um, and it declares to the kingdom of darkness that they no longer belong to you, but they belong to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. And so if we don't do anything as a, as a church, we should definitely be baptizing folks. Because that shows that the kingdom is advancing in the hearts and the lives of everybody. Amen? Amen. So we got a baptism today. Yeah, I think y'all getting it. I think y'all getting it. Listen, listen, listen. Uh, uh, we, we were off last week, obviously, for our community day, um, but we are back continuing in our series uh, this morning called The Eschatological People of God, Returning the Ministry of God Back to uh, the People of God. And if you've missed the first two messages, I encourage you just to go back and check them out on YouTube. Here's one reason why, because everything that I'm doing in this series is systematically building upon itself. So if you come and hear some things today, it might not make a thousand percent sense to you if you miss something that I set up in message one or message two, right? And so if you've missed any message, I encourage you to go back and watch them. If you are a member inside of your resource tab, inside of your church center group, there is the outline. It's there even right now. So you guys will always have access to the outline to do your own studies, to go deeper by yourself. But today we are going to continue and message three is going to be anchoring uh, the priesthood of the believers, anchoring the priesthood of the believers. So the point of this series is what? To teach and encourage the body of Christ to embrace that the ministry of God belongs to the people of God. It is my desire that we exist as a body that is not simply being dependent on leadership for the ministry, dependent on ministry for our growth, but that we are a ministry that is interdependent on one another. Interdependent means that we depend on one another. Mutually, we engage in the ministry of God because when we do this mutually, this is where effective ministry takes place in the lives of the believers. If I am the only person that can pray for you, if I'm the only person that can encourage you, if I am the only person that can edify you, I promise you our gro your growth will be slow because I am not always available. And sometimes, to be honest, I don't even have a clue what to say to you. <laughs> Some stuff I hear, I'm like, I'm going to have to just go into the closet and pray about this one, right? But what happens when the body of Christ comes around each other and they begin to each minister to one another? Maybe in the midst of that, somebody can say something that will encourage and that will edify you. And so my desire as a leader is to not have a ministry that is dependent on me or our leadership team, but that is interdependent on each other. You guys are owning the ministry of God. And listen, that's going to be hard and uncomfortable, 
right? It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take consistency from leadership. But it's also going to take a willingness for us to lean into this teaching. Because it's one thing, as we talked last week about what it means to abandon institutionalism, it's one thing to abandon institutionalism. It's another thing to, to not adopt the priesthood of all believers. Because if we simply abandon institutionalism, that means we're not dependent on leaders to do all the work, and so we abandon that. Well, that just means that if we don't then embrace the priesthood of all believers, then the ministry is just left with nobody doing nothing. Right. And so if we abandon something, we must adopt something. And so it is critical that we don't just abandon institutionalism, but that we adopt this priesthood of all believers. And so my prayer is that when we're done with this teaching, man, you guys will be so sure that you guys are supposed to be in the game, serving each other, making each other feel uh, uh, wanted, edifying each other, taking the gospel into the world, that it will become such a second nature to you because the ministry of God to the world and to each other is most effective when each of us take ownership of it. The ministry of God to the world and to each other is most effective when we take ownership of it. And so this morning we're going to talk about how we anchor this priesthood of all believers. And what that means is this. Whenever there is something new to be taught, Whenever the disciples or the apostles are going to insert some new transformative theme in the Bible, they typically anchor it to something in the Bible, some prophetic teaching, something about Christ, something in the Old Testament. And the reason they do that is because if you don't anchor it into anything, what you run the risk of being is just progressive. You just begin to be somebody that's always looking for something new and deep to say. Instead of something that is biblical to say. And so the apostles are not interested in giving you progressive thought. They're interested in giving you biblical progression. They're interested in showing you how this thing that they are introducing to you has found its roots in the Old Testament and has been systematically happening throughout the course of God's redemptive plan to when we finally get to where we are today, where Christ is now bringing the fullness of what was prophesied to life. Because that's what the eschatological people of God means. It means that God had a people. He operated with a people a certain way in the Old Testament. But then he promised that there would be a new way that he deals with people in the last days. And that the church would become his people, encompassed of Jew and Gentile, all people. That's message number one, right? All people now are able to belong to God. It's not just ethnic Israel, but it's all of those individuals who identify with the true Israel who is. Okay. Let me try it again. The true Israel who is Christ. The true Israel who is Christ. Go back and watch message number one, guys. Jesus is the true Israel. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1 is prophesying that out of Egypt I called my son. Israel, out of Egypt I called my son. And Matthew connects that in chapter 2, that when Jesus went into Egypt, that this was to fulfill what Hosea said, out of Egypt I called my son, which was talking about Israel. So we come to God the same way that the whole world comes to God, through the mediator, which is Israel, but Christ becomes the true Israel. And so we come through Christ to become God's people. That's message number one. Go back and watch it. Listen. Today, though, I'm going to be anchoring this idea of the priesthood of all believers and some things that Peter talks about. Because Peter is about to use some Old Testament imagery. Peter is about to use some Old Testament language. And he's doing this intentionally. 
Because what he wants his listeners to hear is that I'm not just giving you a progressive thought, but I'm giving you something that God has been planned out far before today. But now in this age, we are able to fully see it happening. And so Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verse 4 through 5, he says this, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We anchored this. We, we hinted at this passage in message number one. We're going to be in this passage a little bit, right? And Because I'm, I'm not going to deal with the second part of this today. We'll deal with that next week when it talks about offering spiritual acceptable sacrifices to God because that starts to talk about the function of the priesthood. And so we're going to deal with that next week when we start talking about what does it actually practically mean to be the priesthood. Today, though, I want to anchor this idea and show you this, this, this picture of what God has been doing all along, right? And so Peter uses this, this imagery. He talks about living stones. He talks about a spiritual house. He talks about the priesthood. He talks about sacrifices, and he talks about it all being through Christ. And this is so important. This is so important because what Peter is doing is he is anchoring, he is centering this teaching that this fundamental change, this foundational shift, this kind of this movement, this new thing that's happening, is happening in Christ. It's centered on Christ. We talked about Christ being the cornerstone in that first message of how believers of all are able to come together. But, it, but he's also the cornerstone when he starts talking about the priesthood of believers. Because one of the things my wife said to me, she said, hey, didn't you kind of talk about that already? And I said, nope, we talked about Christ being the cornerstone in order to invite all people to be his people. But what Peter now is doing is he's pointing to, the, to Christ as the cornerstone because in the Old Testament, it was one thing to be God's people. But even out of God's people, he then chose a specific group of people to be his priest. And so now when we look at Christ as the cornerstone, Christ now becomes the cornerstone that not just only makes us God's people, but puts us all on the equal playing field of being priest of God. And so Peter's going to use some imagery to teach this. So the first thing I want to tell you guys is that the priesthood of all believers redefines the idea of the priesthood as a special group out of the people of God to all the people of God, right? It's going to redefine that not only, again, are we God's people, but we are all equal. And where God calls us to do and the ministry in which God calls us to play, nobody is better than another. Leadership is just a function in God's body, but that doesn't make them better than anybody else, right? We are all equal in how we share in the ministry of God. And this is important. Because in the Old Testament, it's no secret, right, that, that God called Israel out of Egypt. And then when he called them out, he then said, hey, I need a certain group of people, though, to be my priests. And so in Exodus 28, verse 1 through 2, he says this, have your brother Aaron with his sons come to you from the Israelites to serve me as priests. Aaron, his sons, Nadab and, Ab- and Abihu, Eleazar and Ethamar, Etham- Ethamar, right? God is, is saying, hey, I know I got my Israelites. But guess what? Grab Aaron and his sons and bring them before me. 
because I'm going to consecrate them to be my priests. They're going to be the people that I deal with, right? Because a priest, is, they, they communicate, they stand in the gap for, between God and man and man and God. And so he says, bring them to me, and these will be the people that have access to me. These will be the people that will do my ministry. These will be the people that I would engage with. I got all of Israel, but now set aside for me Aaron. And Aaron's children go on, and they become essentially the Levites. Because Aaron and Moses, who was the first priest, we're also Levites, right? And so God is calling Levites, and he's saying, hey, now you and your kids, you guys will be my special people. And so according to the Old Testament, you could be God's people, but not all God's people were priests. And this becomes super problematic because the role of the priest was major, right? Priests, they, 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 uh, they were defined by their intercessory role. They acted as representatives of God to the people and representatives of people to God. In other words, the job of the priest was to mediate between God and man and man and God. And so they did this by administering and ministering at the Lord's presence, right? They did this by offering sacrifices to God on behalf of the people when they sinned. They provided counsel and instruction to the people. And before Israel rejected this system and chose to have a king, they also were the ones who had the authority and the power, more than a king. But then Israel, like most of us, Say, man, God, we don't really want it your way. We want to be like the world. So we appreciate the system you set up. But, man, the world got a king. Man, can, can we have a king rule over us? Right? And so God says, well, all right, whatever. <laughs> have it your way. And, and then when you read the rest of the Bible, you start to see how those kings ain't really work out too good for them. <laughs> right? A couple good ones, but a lot of bad ones. <laughs> but, but. But before they did that, the, the priests were the official power. They taught the word. They handled disputes. Remember, they brought all their issues to Moses, who dealt with all of their complaints and all of their disputes and all of their problems, right? This was their service to people, but then the priests had a service to God, right? This involved maintaining all of the holy sites. At festivals, they had to handle all of the offerings. They worked the temple, ensuring that it was taken care of and not defiled. In short, they took care of God's house because God's temple was where he resided at. And so their service to God was to take care of where he resided. This makes sense in a minute. So I don't know about you, but that also sounds a lot like what we think the pastor should be doing. He should handle all our disputes. He should teach us everything. He should counsel us. Hey, listen, when I mess up, he should pray for me. I need forgiveness, right? It's, we, we have just taken an old system that no longer exists, and again, just made it the pastor's job or just made it the leader's job, right, to, to, to do all of this work for us while we go to them so they can do everything, and then we go back home after they've served us. But if we are all priests, then all those functions that I just talked about that priests did becomes a collective effort of all of the people of God to serve the people. And, and, and everybody may have a different function, and in two weeks we'll talk about Corinthians chapter 12 and, and how the, the, we have different functions and giftings, but how they all work together as one. And so, yeah, we may function differently, but the whole idea of Corinthians 12 is that we collectively function, and we may differ in how we function, but we all function, and when we all function in how we're supposed to function, everything functions. <laughs> but here's the thing. Because maybe you hear that list and you're like, man, I ain't trying to make no sacrifice. Because you got to understand, we read the Bible in this very, in this weird way where we be like, yeah, they made sacrifices. 
But then when you read the Bible with critical thinking, no, 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 no. All day long, <laughs> they were in the temple sacrificing for behalf of the people. Day in and day out, right? Hebrews says that day in and day out they went in because all day long, people was jacking it up. You got to understand, when they went into war, they needed a priest, make a sacrifice to God before we go fight. So every battle they had, a priest needed to show up. Remember what Saul did? Okay, I'll talk about that later. But remember what he did? He ain't feel like waiting on Samuel. So he said, man, listen, man, we need to win this thing. Man, bring me them goats and stuff. And he did it himself. <laughs> got the whole kingdom, took him from him, right? But, but anytime there was something they needed, they went to the priest. Everything. So the priests, they were always, in, in today's world, we would say they would have been burnt out. They were burnt out, making sacrifices and listening to disputes with people who were just going to go back and then complain about them. Burnt out. Listening to everybody's issues only for them to be like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. Burnt out. But you may have heard all of that and you was like, man, I ain't trying to do this priest thing because I ain't trying to be doing all of that. You heard all of this work and so you like, yeah, let them do it. But you miss something that is so important. Because though it was a lot of work and all of that, the one thing that I don't want you to miss is that the reason the ministry belonged to the priesthood is because the priests were the only ones who were allowed to have that type of access to God. The reason they had to go to the priest for everything is because God said only them are allowed to come to me. You go to them, they come to me. So you see a whole bunch of work that you may not want to do like, yeah, but that was a problem because what it also meant is they didn't have intimate relationship with God. Only the priests were able to enter into his presence like that. And so when we say, hey, pastors and elders and leaders, you, you're communicating the same thing. Hey, man, you, you got some special access to God, and so you do all of that. And maybe, and maybe that's cool because you're not busy and stressed out, but then you're missing the beauty of what, though, what they got. Moses got to go up into the mountain and be with God. The, the people of Israel stood at the, at the base afraid because, they, because, because his voice sounds different. Based on your relationship with him. See, 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 Moses seen lightning and thundering and all of this, and he went up to that without fear, entering into the presence of God. God was talking to him. And, and Moses is hearing God communicating to him, and he's loving it. The Israelites who don't have that level of access to God, they're at the mountain afraid of it. It sounds different based on proximity. And so these individuals, they didn't have this access to God. And so that was the most important problem of the priesthood. It only limited certain people to be able to have the beauty and intimacy and access to God that he desires for us all to have. The people couldn't go to God on their own. They needed a mediator. And so this specific priesthood served the people and served God because all God's people were not granted direct access to him. But Peter's like, we're going to shut that down because that is not how the church of God should be conducting themselves. That is not the, 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 the pride that we should carry ourselves with. I am special. I'm pastor. I got God. I tell you what God wants for you. Because you can't figure it out on your own because he's not listening to you. Don't that sound stupid? Like if I told you that, y'all find a new church. <laughs> but we act like that when you only, okay. So 
Peter shuts this down when he says, as you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by people chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house being built up to this holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says the most important change from the priesthood, according to Aaron and the priesthood, according to Christ, is that the people of God all have equal access to God. He says, as you come to him. And then he says, to God through Jesus Christ. He starts with, as you come to him, and ain't up there right now, and then he ends it with, through Jesus Christ, right? And, and, and so what he is simply saying is why this is, he's anchoring. Because what he's saying is, if, if remember I told you about Saul? Sam, Saul was supposed to make a, Samuel was supposed to make a sacrifice. Saul was impatient. So Saul said, don't worry about it, I'm going to do it myself. Samuel said to Saul, in uh, 1 Samuel 13, 13, and 14, he says this. You have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart, ain't you? And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, ain't you? Because you have not done what the Lord commanded. So pay attention to this. Saul did a priestly function that he had no authority to do. And because he did a priestly function that he had no authority to do, it, that function became damnable. He lost the entire kingdom because of it. And so what Peter is saying to people who would hear this and be like, hold up, bro, don't be trying to tell me to be a priest. Like, no, we know what happened when people do stuff they ain't got no business doing. He says, let me anchor into why you're able to do these priestly duties. It's not because you're doing them. He says, but it's because you come through Christ. So as you come through Christ doing these priestly functions, it becomes acceptable to God. Now, if you come, if you do it any other way, then you're out of order. If you do anything that the priest should be doing that you and you're not doing it in Christ or through Christ, you're out of order. And now what would be acceptable in Christ is now damnable to you. And so Peter is saying, I'm about to anchor this thing in Christ. I ain't telling you to be out of order, but I'm telling you as you come through Christ now, you are received. You are accepted. Would you? This is why I harp every single week, why I don't deal with all these weird medium spiritualistic things people keep trying to do to be acceptable to God and to offer things to God. It's not accepted. It's not accepted. God is like, I don't know what that is. I, I don't know what that crystal is. I don't know that. God is like, I don't know all that sage you keep waving. That ain't, I don't know that. Them vibes going to stay there. I don't know that. Matter of fact, since you're waving it, you're going to bring, you thought you was getting rid of these vibes, you're bringing some new ones. You keep trying to revibrate your whatever. You got 18 crystals on you while you sleep, trying to change your balance. God, like, you just jacking yourself up more. But God is like, no, nah, I don't know that. You, you praying to every ancestor that exists in the heavens. God, like, I, don't, I ain't acceptable to me. You doing things I ain't got no, you ain't got no business doing. You meditating not biblically. You meditating not biblically. You adopting Eastern mysticism, talking about I'm meditating. There's a, <laughs> there's a really cool passage in the Bible where God goes to the people of Israel and he says, Hey, don't meditate me, don't meditate to me like the mediums and the spiritualists. What that mean? That means that there is a meditation that ain't got nothing to do with God. <laughs> he says this, but instead you should seek your instructions from me because meditate, by the way, I'm off the script. Meditate, by the way, has nothing to do with. Hum, 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 hum. 
Meditate has nothing to do with. The word meditate means to mutter, to utter. And so when the Bible talks about meditate day and night, he's saying keep the instructions of the Lord on your tongue day and night. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't hang out with those who mock mock me, Psalm chapter 1. Instead, seek your counsel from the Lord. If you're going to meditate, what do you tell Joshua? Day and night, keep my instructions. Don't empty your thoughts trying to center yourself. He says, no, I need you to think on something. Paul says empty thoughts isn't meditation. Instead, Philippians chapter 2, think on the three, think on these things. That which is honorable, that which is praiseworthy, that which is thanksgiving. And you know the scripture. I missed a couple. <laughs> All right, back to the script, but we got baptisms. <laughs> but God says Christ is the thing or the person that anchors this new idea of you being priest because as long as you do it through Christ, he accepts it. He accepts it. He's not teaching to reject God's order. He's actually saying, no, God's order is Christ. And words like come to him, through him, those are all words that speak to a mediator. Come through him. It is through him as you come to him. He, that means he's a mediator, right? And that's interesting because the Old Testament priesthood needed a mediator. But the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So he says the Old Testament, they was your mediators. That, that The Levites, the tribe, you know, and they was jacked up too, by the way. Them jokers were so bad. They was the worst type of priest they got to the point. They got so bad in Ezekiel, God said, I'm done with y'all. I'm going to go with Zadok. We're going to run this priest line through him. Y'all jokers have messed this up. I'm done with y'all. I'm actually condemning y'all. Right? Because these priests started leading people the wrong way. Right? But, 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 but Peter says, no, no, no. Just as there was a mediator in the Old Testament that people had to go through in order to be acceptable to God, he says, I haven't changed anything. But instead, I've made Christ that mediator. I've made Christ that high priest. That's why it's acceptable if you come through him because he's the only person that I have given the right to be my high priest. So Peter uses this mediatorial language, this mediator language, because now Christ is the one who mediates between God and man. It is now Christ who functions as the priest, and as long as we come through him, we offer to God that which is acceptable. The priesthood belongs to the entire people of God because we come through Christ. Because we come through Christ. This is why we can't do our own thing. This is why Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through, through, through. I'm the mediator, through me. I don't know about Buddha. I don't know about Muhammad. I don't know about Gandhi. I don't know about all of these other people. I don't know about the, the Anaks, and I don't know about El Amran. I don't know about all of these Egyptian gods. No, no, no. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Call it what you won't be mad. That's fine, but God has only made me the doorway. No one comes to the Father except through the mediator in which he has placed his blessing on, which is Christ. Christ is how we come. And, Christ, and, and here's why it's so important, by the way, 14 minutes, <laughs> because if you read the Old Testament, if you went into God's presence and you weren't supposed to, you didn't leave his presence. <laughs> you dropped dead right there. If the priest 
didn't get themselves right before they went into the Holy of Holies. They, they had, this, is, this is how serious God is about his presence. They had to tie a rope around the priest. Because if they went in there unclean, God killed them, and you can't go in and get them. So they had a rope around them. So if they stop moving, drag them up out of there. <laughs> Don't go in there because you're going to be right with them. So they, they were like, we, we think you clean, but just in case, take this rope. Get this rope together, brother, because you might drop dead, and we don't want to leave you in this thinking. My bad. <laughs> you know. So, but because they had to be clean. Okay. So what does the Bible say Jesus does for us? His blood sprinkled on us, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He makes us presentable. He makes us able to enter into the presence of God because he has cleansed us. The Bible says it was impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to ever take away sin. But Christ's blood became the once and for all sacrifice because we are covered by his blood. We are made holy and presentable. And now we can enter into God's presence without dropping dead. So if you're not going to come through Christ, how in the world are you going to get into his presence? How in the world are you going to enter into his presence? He didn't make another option. The priesthood belongs, I said that, let's keep going. The high priestly function of Christ is to anchor the change in the priesthood because Christ is completely different. I like this. Now, this is not, I'm I'm about to teach y'all a little bit. Stay with me. We're going to teach. We're going to run through some scriptures. Okay. In his death, Christ became our high priest. He initiates this new priesthood. But here's the thing. It's not based on Aaron. This new priesthood that Christ initiates has nothing to do with Aaron. So, so, so if, if the new priesthood has nothing to do with Aaron, guess what that means? That means I can be a priest and not have to be through the genealogy of Aaron. Right? And here's why. Because if the priest had to come through what tribe? Pop quiz, what tribe did Jesus come through? Ah, yes, Judah. So how is Jesus our high priest if he doesn't come through the line of Levi, he comes through the line of Judah, who wasn't the line that was to be the high priest? Because God is smarter than us. (laughs) Psalms 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. Not Aaron, but Melchizedek. Now, some of y'all are like, who in the world is Melchizedek? Well, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20 tells us this, because Psalms 110 don't even say who he's talking about. Now, we know that's a messianic prophecy, but Psalms 6, verse 20 makes it a little bit more clear. He says this, Jesus has, therefore, on our behalf, I mean, Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he became a high priest forever according to the order of who? Melchizedek. So Psalms 110.4 is referencing Jesus, and Hebrews 6.20 tells us that. But the question still is, who in the world is Melchizedek? Because we only got about nine Old Testament verses that talk about the man. So, let me give this summary for you. This is important. Because the reason Jesus is able to be our high priest, though he doesn't come through the line of Levi, is because Levi was never God's end game. Right? He, the, the, the Levitical priesthood was a band-aid to a problem that happened in Exodus because the people didn't want to be priests. They say, no, you don't, you, you don't talk to us, God. Moses talks to us. So God created a whole priesthood because they didn't want access to him. 
But that was never supposed to be the way it was supposed to be. God had a plan from the beginning. And when you read Genesis chapter 14, you read about this plan. In a very short narrative, the Bible says that Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means king of peace, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God the Most High. So Melchizedek was a priest long before Levi, long before Aaron. And how do we know that? Because Abraham paid a tithe to him. And the Bible says that while Levi was in the loins of Abraham, yes, that means exactly what you think it just meant, he paid a tithe to Melchizedek with Abraham. Okay. Look what else the Bible says about Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3. He was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither a days nor an end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So then the Bible says some stuff about Melchizedek that can't make sense if you're talking about a human. Because he says that he has no mother, he has no father. He has no genealogy. He has no end of days and no beginning of days. Now, either this man, the Bible lion, or this man, God. <laughs> because I don't know no humans that don't got no man, no, no mother, no father. I don't know no human that don't got no beginning or no ending. The only person that the Bible talks about that way, well, two people, <laughs> same person, though, just two different references, is God and Jesus. So that means as, uh, what we believe theologically is that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ that appeared in the Old Testament. Right. But, but, but here's why this makes the most sense, because if Christ isn't a, 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 a priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, which, by the way, there is no biblical reference that he has any other kids, which means Christ would be the next order. So Melchizedek, then Christ. There's nothing in between. Right. But this means this, that Christ's priesthood then predates the Levitical priesthood. And that means that Christ's priesthood is more superior than the Levitical priesthood. Are y'all tracking with me? Christ's priesthood is superior to the Old Testament priesthood that everybody thought was so beautiful and so perfect. God didn't change his mind. God didn't change his plan. God always intended for the priest to come through that would be the one to mediate between God and man through the order of Melchizedek. Israel didn't want it, so he made a substitute. He made a band-aid until Christ would come to fulfill what he's always planned from the beginning. Abraham paid this tithe, and he got blessed. And some pastors, they mess it up because they see tithe, 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 until they start talking about tithing. Missing the whole fact of what the point of the tithing is. The author of Hebrews isn't trying to teach you anything about tithing. The author of Hebrews is using tithing to show inferior and superior. He says because the inferior paid a tithe to the superior. The inferior was Abraham with Levi in his loins. The superior was Melchizedek, which means if Melchizedek was the superior, his order is superior, which means the Levitical priesthood was always inferior to that which, okay, Hebrews 7 through 10, so you don't think I'm messing it up. Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, man will die, receive the tenth, but in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in a sense, Levi himself, who receives a tenth, has paid a tenth. Through Abraham, for he was still in the he was still within his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. The tithing is being taught here to teach who was the better, who was the superior. And so God makes this oath that he would fulfill this in Christ through Melchizedek. 
And therefore, there's no longer this special group of people that have to come through the genealogy of Levi in order to have access to God. Now, all we have to do is come according to the order of, and we do that by coming through Christ. I know, I had to break that down, but I, prom- I, don't want, I want y'all to be informed when we talk about these things. I want y'all to understand why Christ is so important. So when people are talking to you about, well, I mean, we all just kind of lead to the same path. No, no, no. They all lead to the same path. His path don't lead to none of their paths. You're right. All of them, same direction. Christ, one direction. This is what God had in mind. And this is why Peter says you yourselves are being built into a holy priesthood. Because it doesn't matter your last name. It only matters if you come through the order of Christ. What Christ establishes is the permanent system set up by God for people to have access to him in a relationship with him. He is a priesthood that will reign forever, meaning permanent. Look, remember when Christ died? Matthew 27, 50. Look what happens. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn into two. From top to bottom, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Now, Jesus dies and it's talk about this, this curtain was split. And there's two ways to look at this curtain. First way you can look at the curtain is according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, which tells us what? That Christ the tore down the dividing wall of hostility between the Jew and Gentiles. Yes, in the actual temple, there was a curtain that separated the courts of the Gentiles and the courts of the Jews. The Gentiles literally were not allowed to go past their curtain. By the way, if you ever want to understand why Jesus was turning over these tax collectors, because they were in the court of the Gentiles charging tax to them that was not allowing them to bring a sacrifice to God. So in turn, these gamblers were stopping the Gentiles from being able to worship. So when Jesus gets pissed off and starts turning over stuff, he's like, you stopping people from worshiping me? You charging them a tax to worship me? Because they were in the court of the Gentiles. They weren't in the court of the Jews doing that. They were in the court of the Gentiles, making it hard for them to come to God, making it hard for them to worship God. That's a little extra credit for you. But then there's another way to think of it. The other way to think of it is literally in the Bible, the temple had another curtain. And it was the curtain that divided the regular courts from the holies of holies. And the holies of holies was the place where God's presence was. And that it was so holy that only the high priest could enter it. And it was so holy that he could only go in there, go in there once a year. Right? One time. Once a year you can come in here, bro. And so when Jesus dies, the Bible says that the curtain that divided Jews and Gentiles was torn. And then this curtain that was the holies of holies was split down. And when it got split down, what does that mean? Access has now been granted by anybody who comes through Christ. Y'all going to love Jesus after the day. <laughs> Jesus, as the atonement for our sins, became the mediator. Oh, I got to hurry. Who has granted us direct access to God the Father. Huh. <clears throat> All right, we're not going to go today. <laughs> oh, I want to, though. No, man, we won't. I already said it. Remember, the problem started because the Israelites didn't want it. Exodus 19, God says, listen, you will be my chosen people, my prized possession. You will be a priesthood. And then in verse 20, Israelites was like, yeah, we don't want you to talk to us, God. Moses can talk to us. And look what, look what, look what the Bible says in verse 20, verse 20, Exodus 20, 21. Uh, go sip a slide for me real quick. Right here. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. God said, I'm inviting you all to have access to me. They said, we don't want it. And so they said, let Moses. And so Moses went to where God was. And all the other people of God stood off at a distance. 
The, Levit the Levitical priesthood was never how it was supposed to be. It was never meant to be a permanent solution. As God desires that we all have close intimacy with him, not distant intimacy. This means that God's desire is not that we stand at a distance while a few people draw near. But that we all enter into his presence, that we all go up the mountain. Peter, talking to the whole body of Christ, says that as we come to him, we are living stones, a spiritual house. And this building imagery is connected to the temple. Hmm. The idea of a spiritual house is the Old Testament promise that Christ would build God's final temple. 2 Samuel 7, 12-13, when your time comes and you rest, you will be with your ancestors. And I will raise up after you your descendants who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. Now in context, he was talking about Solomon. In prophetic context... Solomon died and his kingdom didn't last forever. So that was prophecy. Old Testament prophecy always carried two meanings. It was always an immediate and then it was always a prophetic. We don't always see the prophetic until we get further down the line and they start quoting these things to talk about Christ. So Solomon's kingdom didn't last forever at all. Matter of fact, he started giving it away to all types of people. Right? But, but, but the point is that this messianic prophecy is that God will build his temple later and that it will be his true house. And this is what Peter is drawing from when he calls us living stones. He is anchoring the priesthood in this reality, that the temple of God is you, me, us. And those aren't pronouns or anything. That's you, me, us, us. <laughs> the temple of God was a representation of God's dwelling with his people. When Israel was delivered out of Egypt, they were wandering in the desert. God said, I want to dwell with you. Onslaught of scripture. So he says this in Exodus 25, 8. They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. I, I, don't sleep on this. Catch this. They are to make a sanctuary for me that I may what? <laughs> and so the purpose of the sanctuary was that God would dwell with his people, right? But that's when the tabernacle, so now we get the tabernacle, right? But then they stop being wanderers, and now they get to a permanent place in Jerusalem. And so now God says, now that you have a permanent place, I want you to build me a temple, right? And the temple became the place where God's presence would be so he could dwell with them. But that wasn't permanent, right? And we see this in the New Testament because then God says none of that stuff was good enough. So the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, so the Word became flesh, and God dwelt among us, right? <laughs> Tabernacle, I want to dwell with you. Temple, I want to dwell with you. None of that stuff is good enough, though. And I got somebody that's going to build my true house, not one of dead stones, but living stones. And so he says, now I'm going to come myself, incarnate myself in Christ, and I will dwell amongst my people. And this is why Matthew says that his name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wants to dwell with us. <laughs> so then Paul goes and he just outright says it. 1 Corinthians 13, 16, 17. Do you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. And what is <laughs> and that is what you are. Now, everybody uses that to tell you don't be out here being loose. But Paul is trying to teach a much bigger theological thing than just trying to stop people from church girling. All right. Hey, man, okay, I'm done. <clears throat> please, please, just, just, just take the album back. Paul just says it clear. 
that we are God's temple, meaning God has now chosen you to dwell with. And so in John 14, 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. God says, if you love me, if you, if you, Christ says, if you come through me, if you love me, if you obey me, God, we will come. We, not just, we will come and make our home in you. We will come and dwell inside of you. And if you have missed the significance that all God has been wanting to do since Adam and Eve messed it up. Because in the garden, they were walking with God. God was dwelling with them. And then they sinned. And ever since that, God has only been desiring to dwell with his people. And that's why part of God, Christ's redemptive plan was to redeem us, yes, but to also bring us back to a place where God once again will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. Direct access. We don't need no priests. We don't, well, Jesus only, but we don't need no man-made priest system because the Melchizedek order ain't man-made. We don't need no man-made priest system, uh, priest system. We don't need a bunch of pastors and leaders to give us access. Now, remember, guys, we talked last week. About the priesthood of all believers does not mean that you disrespect leadership and order because God has still set that up. But you don't need me to give you access. The only thing I'm going to give you is the gospel. If you believe it, access granted. If you don't, well, denied. Because <laughs> God said it's denied, not because I said it. I will say it, but it's because God said it. <laughs> and I don't want you to tr think that you got access to something you don't have access to, and then we got to pull the rope. <laughs> <laughs> but this is God's desire to have close intimacy with the people, not distant intimacy. Through Christ, he causes up the mountain without fear of death. And this happens because Christ is our atonement. Christ made those who come to him clean once and for all. Hebrews 7.25, for, my bad, 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. He don't, he don't have to go back in and make another sacrifice. He don't got to go back into the altar and kill another bull. He ain't got to do none of that. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives. The old priests, they die. But Christ always lives. The true high priest, the true mediator of God and man, the other system the Bible says was never sufficient in the first place. You can read that yourself in Hebrews chapter 7 where it says if perfection could come through the Levitical priesthood, there would not have been a need for another one. But clearly because he needed another one, that one was flawed to begin with because it was only a Band-Aid. It was a placeholder. Anybody, and, and you got to take some time one day and just read the book of Hebrews because the whole point that the Hebrew author is trying to get people to understand is don't go back to old systems. <laughs> Quit going back to something that God made a placeholder for trying to make it permanent. Don't go back to the elementary teachers. Don't go back to making animal sacrifices. Don't go back to the priesthood. He says, accept what Christ has done. Don't go back to trying to observe all of these feasts and thinking, I got to go to all of these things. Or I'll never be accepted. No, that is old. That was a temporary system put in place until Christ would come. And this is why when they came up to Jesus, talking about, hey, man, your people out here fasting and stuff. They ain't fasting, bro. You can make them fast. And Jesus said, so the reason we don't put new wine in old wineskins is because they burst. And all we're doing when we keep going back 
to this pastor-centric, dependent model of church is we keep trying to put new wine into old systems. And then we wonder why the church can't figure it out, why we're so effective, because all our wine keeps spilling out. So instead of keep trying to patch up this old system, let's get to what the Bible is saying and embrace this new system, the new wineskins. Where now when we start pouring in our blessings, now when we start pouring in our offerings, now when we start pouring in our ministry and our service, it holds. It becomes effective. Discipleship works. Our evangelism works. But as long as we keep trying to say, yeah, I know, like, I know, I know God, that you're doing something new, but I'm lazy and don't want to do nothing. Then that's what we're going to have. Lazy ministry. And ain't nothing going to get accomplished. And here's why I'm going to explain this to you. Because if you go to reach, this is, I want you all to understand this. Because I'm committed to not doing it no more. And not because I'm lazy. Y'all already know I'm the last person that you want to call lazy. But because if I continue to do it, I will never be able to break the culture. Until I start saying, and there's people in here that know this about me. I would be like, oh, that's what's up. You talk shit to somebody else? Did you pray? I don't really know yet. Pray. When you pray, come back to me. It ain't that I don't care and I don't want to answer your question. I want you to go talk to God. I don't typically give people that talk to me. I talk a lot. So I'll give you a lot to think about, but I won't give you any answers. <laughs> I'll just let you think about a lot. Hey, man, you ever think about this? I know I'm, you know, and I always say what, and, and I'm not making this up. They, I'll be like, man, you know, no, go pray about that. Let me know what you think. And whatever you hear, let's rock with it. See what happens. Now, if it's sinful, I'm be like, you ain't pray. But if it's not, I'm be like, I mean, let's just see what happens. If that's what you heard, that's what I heard. <laughs> I hope you really heard it. <laughs> the worst thing to do to me is hit me with that God told me, because I'm going to be like, all right. <laughs> Kareem tell you all the time. When somebody hit me with the God told me card, I'll be like, all right, great. I'm not going to argue with God. You're not going to have me sinning. So if God told you, he told me too. Go have at it. <laughs> and if you fall on your face, hmm? that could have been God, though. He could have told you to fall on your face too. It happens. I ain't trying to act like he don't. He Sometimes he tells us to do stuff and we on our face. <laughs> He'd be like, got you where I want you. Now, look up. All right, I really got to go. Luckily, they, they worship was not as long, so I actually got extra time. Appreciate y'all. <laughs> this is why I reject anything that we try outside of Christ to have a deeper relationship with God. You know why? This is the deepest thing you'll hear me say today. It's already deep. I don't need any other thing to have a deeper relationship with God. How much deeper can he lives in me be? It don't get much deeper than he lives in me. <laughs> That's about as deep as it can go. <laughs> so that means I don't need nothing else to help me go deeper. I'm already deep enough. Only thing I need to do is enter into, embrace what is here already. Christ is enough. And so instead of trying to find out another way to go deeper, just keep going deeper in him. Right? Just keep entering into his presence. Keep seeking his face. Keep talking to him. That's as deep as you're going to ever need. Everything else is surface, parading as, uh, parading as deep. But everything else that think is deep is just you coming out of the deep into the shallow. You done left the deep, going into the shallow, trying to be deep. Drowning in the three feet. <laughs> Swearing you in 12. God, like, you ain't nowhere. I'm, I'm saying that, but I'm being so real, y'all. It don't get no deeper than he lives. In. I don't know how much. It can't. It don't get no deeper than that. It don't. 
My wife lives with me. My children live with me. If I want to know them better, I don't need to call their friends. They live with me. I have access to them. I can talk to them. I can ask them what they need. I can ask them how to love them better because they live with me. And this is why the second anchor is so big. Because common sense says that if we are the temple of God, then we live with direct access to him. We don't need another method. And so the temple language Peter uses to teach that the priesthood is not a specific people out of the people, but that all people have access because of Christ's function. And Peter has made this case not progressively, but he has built it from the Old Testament to show you that this is not something new. This is God fulfilling what he always had in mind from the beginning. Everything else along the way are just place holders until Christ came. Read the book. I read the book. They were shadows, imperfect systems, incapable of doing the things that God ever really wanted to be done. They were okay when we didn't have another option. But now that Christ is here, we must forsake all those. Now that you know Christ, it was okay. Not really, but follow my traction. (laughs) It was okay when you was depressed and so you would just get high and drink. You didn't know nothing else to do. It was okay when you was in these relationships doing things that you ain't had no, you didn't know nothing else to do. They were your, your sense of security. They were your source of love. But now that you have Christ, you forsake all of these other things that never, ever really satisfied you to begin with. No relationship can complete you. That's God's job. No drug can, can, can remove whatever you're feeling, whatever mental things you're struggling with, whatever insecurity. None of that's All that does is just, it's just a, a, a temporary solution. Not even a solution. It's just a temporary dagger. But now that you know Christ, I know who gives me my peace. I know who grounds me and who I am as a person. I know where my identity rests. So I don't need to go anywhere else. I forsake everything else that I sought for, that I sought those things for. So the question that we must ask ourselves as we continue in the weeks to come is, Are we going to be like Israel, rejecting the access and responsibility that God wants to give us over his ministry? Now, listen, we can all shout about having direct access to the father, but that's only the start of this. Because it feels good when we talk about this part of the priesthood. Yeah, I got access to God and we're going to shout and we're going to clap. But that's just vertical. Because the priests served God. And they also served And so now that we're done shouting about getting to have God, now we got to start talking about serving people the right way. Now we got to start talking about getting our little hands dirty. Now we got to start talking about our stuff and taking care of God's house, which is not a building, but spiritual people make up his house. And so the way we take care of God's house now is by taking care of So hopefully y'all clap next week. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning, Lord. I pray that uh, everything that was said today was encouraging, God, even that some of the things may have been a little more complex theories and ideas, God. I pray, God, that you who are the one who brings to remembrance, you who are the one who teaches us anyway, have simplified it 
in the hearts of the people who need it so that they would hear it in the way that you need them to receive it. But the biggest thing that I desire, Father, is that, that we as a body would, one, begin to just truly appreciate the beauty that is you. God, that we would come to a place of recognizing, man, th- th- this, this, this story of how much you desire to be with us. Like, like, you desired us so much that you put an imperfect system in place. Because if you didn't put that imperfect system in place back then, we would never even have been able to have access to you in the temporary. And so you said, I love you so much, I'll put an imperfect system in place just so you can have some level of access to me while we wait on Christ. You love us so much that even in our wickedness, your desire is to dwell with us, that you allow for animal blood to be temporary atonement for us. God, if we don't walk away praising you, if we don't walk away beholding the beauty that is you, We have missed the mark. So, Father, my prayer is that all of us in our time of ministering to one another, that we would just pause to behold your beauty. That we would just pause to embrace what you have done. But, God, what a joyous occasion would it be that someone who never knew how much you desire to be with them, that have heard it for the first time, would come to the end of themselves and would say that it is through Christ that I want to come, that I want access to the Father. I want that. I want to be, I want him to dwell with me. I want to be able to go to him. I want to behold his beauty. And so I want to come through Christ. Father, take my little words and do great things with them in the hearts and the minds of everybody. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Listen, guys, I know we, we, got, we do have baptisms, but we're going to stay the course. We, got, we, we had a time. We're going to stay the course. I've wrestled back and forth in my head. I said, are we going to do our every member ministry today? We got baptism. I said, no. We're going to still do our every member ministry time. And we're going to come out of our every member ministry time, and we're going to do our baptism and our communion. And then we'll go home, right, on time, right? We still on time. <laughs> and so if you're a visitor, what every member ministry is here is that we take after the message about 10, well, maybe 10, we'll still do 15 today, 15 minutes. And I just ask that people turn and get into groups of three to five, not 10 and 20, three to five. And you begin to minister to each other, whatever it is that God is, doing, something that you heard, something that was encouraging, something that you want to receive, something that you want to share. Like the Bible says that when you come together, we all have a a song and a hymn and a word. And so we do in our church a time where we don't just come listen to me, but now we turn and we minister to each other. And so for the next 15 minutes, you guys will do that. I'll pray us out. We'll get into communion. We'll get into our baptism and then we'll go home. Amen.